With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast, coming to you from uh, Weird Corridor at the Berlin Film Festival. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, with Ann Thompson, our editor at large, and we're uh, just a day into this festival. But what's really fascinating is that this time I kind of feel like I'm the veteran, Ann, because you've never been here before. I haven't been in a few years, but... There aren't that many places where I can claim I am indeed a virgin. <laughs> well, let's give it a few days and see how you do. But <laughs> this, this is an interesting... You go to Germany to lose it. That's a, it's an interesting place to start because this festival has a unique identity. It's the 70th year, but it's gone through so many different permutations. And one of the things that I find really fascinating is that there's a lot of international films here, some from newcomers, some from very established directors, but there's also a huge market. So what is your sense of, of the mar- value of the market here in Berlin versus, say, Cannes? What's interesting about it is that given the time of year, a lot of the films that are for sale here were the big titles in Sundance, which sold in North America in Sundance, but that's not a big European market. So they're all for sale here. And one of the things I'm hearing is, and I'm going to be doing some reporting on this, and I'll come back to you later, is that there's a lot of action overseas. It's not all North American-centric. That market is shrinking. Even if Parasite is the conversation here, uh, and everybody wonders how it can be uh, modeled, how it can be uh, followed up on, and is there a bigger opportunity, at the same time they give Neon and other companies like A24 uh, real chops for being good at maximizing a movie like that, as opposed to uh, the older uh, more established companies. It's true, and I feel like on the programming side, it's a good reality check as well, at just how small we are, as, a, as not just in terms of the U.S. industry, art house industry, but the, uh, the industry uh, as far as uh, American films and how they play at festivals, because to go to Berlin right after Sundance, you know, there are two films here that were at Sundance and, uh, and, and one that was... First Cow. Right, First Cow from Kelly Reichert, which premiered last fall at New York Film Festival in Telluride, and then Eliza Hittman's film, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. But what's fascinating is that their their profiles are, are different. There's, you know, these are... This is a... They're major a, films here. Exactly. They're actually they, big deals. They're, they're on a different kind of platform, as well as many other kinds of films. But one of the things that will be interesting to see this year is, is what breaks out, because it's a new programming team and the competition is this smattering of newcomers and established filmmakers as well as a few carryovers and I don't really know what to expect yet. Well so far we saw the opening night movie um, My Salinger Year uh, Philippe Ferradeau, a Montreal filmmaker who um, Monsieur Lazar was a terrific movie. So <laughs> it was a couple years ago. <laughs> had some uh, 
some optimism. Um, what I learned from this movie is that it is very much, uh, so I went to the opening night last night at the Zoo Palast off of the uh, Popstammer Platz, which is where all the action is, uh, the Hyatt Hotel, which is the center of a lot of the activity, um, and that's where we are right now. Uh, but the, um, it was a big black tie gala. I learned a few things. One, and I've been warned about this, because you know, anyone who knows me well knows that I am not a prompt individual. You cannot be late. They, they literally punish you. And they, they also berate you. And they tell you how bad you are for being late. Well, it's not like Cannes makes it too much easier. So you, it's on a, you know, the same wavelength. And these European festivals are all about ritual and process. And even though this one in some ways is a little more approachable than Cannes, there, there is some relationship there. And they both have been around a long time. And, and you have to play by the rules. So, so what they did last night was the, the, the big um, theater. It was full of black tie people. And there was a long gala where the ministers of culture come out and the jury comes out led by Jeremy Irons who was very charming of course um, and, and, and how's your joke. he yeah. made a joke well he was in English he made a joke about how um, <laughs> he's in trouble too I mean he's been making me two comments that people are well I think with. specifically it was he had made some comments in the past that it came back to haunt him to the point where at the jury press conference he just got right into it before anyone asked any questions to try to put it aside and Maybe it helped. I mean, clearly, having said, you know, comments that were seen as anti-gay and, and also uh, anti-abortion were deeply problematic. I mean, you have a film like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is an abortion drama in competition. So it seems like he, he got in front of that, but we'll see how it develops. So what happens is that, uh, sort of like the Oscars, which is a, it's a televised program that was live, they have seat fillers if you didn't get in, into your seat. In time. Oh no, did, did you have to kick a seat filler out? I, I, well, I had to wait for a really long time watching it live in the lobby. And then I came in for the begin for the part with the jury and, and the new heads of the festival who officially opened the festival. This is like the Berlinale hazing process. Oh for my you. god! But it reminded me. I mean, it reminded me. I've been to so many of these things in foreign countries where I don't necessarily know the language. Yeah. But it's always yeah, I could tell you exactly what everybody said. Yeah, pretty yeah. formal stuff. Yeah, it's about this is our wonderful festival. This is our wonderful culture. That's what they're going to say. Well, but what's what's interesting about Berlinale. Is that it also has very much a local audience. I mean, you know, when you go to Cannes, those are not audiences that live in the south of France going to those movies. And here there's certainly a massive international press and, and industry presence. There is also a big Berlin presence. And, and we're here in the press lounge, and there's an enormous press presence too. But it's mostly European, I would yes. say. And, and, and also I recognize a lot of the British press. I would say it's a small American press contingent, mostly trades and a few critics. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you look at the lineup, it's not very star-driven, but that creates a possibility that you can actually program this festival for quality in a different kind of way. So it's it can't compete with Cannes necessarily, but there is a way to get films here that are surprising and different and uh, can come from a lot of different places. And so I think that's what's kind of interesting about Berlin. You don't well, know what's going to happen. If you win the, the Golden Lion, right? That's Venice. This that's is nice. the Golden Bear. Yes, so there's a giant bear all over town. There you go. So if you win that, you, you have a, a big shot at, at some attention. But there are a lot of buyers here. So the movie I saw with you this morning, um, so we were talking about... Um, my Salinger year. That 
is a breakout for Margaret Colley. Now, we knew she was good. We saw her in Fosse. We saw her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I thought that was the breakout. It was Hollywood. I mean, it's, she was all a, over it's that. It's a supporting part. She carries this. True, to see her in and a lead role. this is a yeah. weak movie that right. she carries, and right. that is a huge deal, that someone is strong enough for you to be able to hang on to them through the whole movie, even when the rest of the movie isn't as good as she is. Yeah, I think what was uh, I found kind of interesting about this as an opening night choice is that, as you say, it's like you need a star for an opening night movie. Usually you need something. And this Sigourney movie, Weaver, who's on the jury, was their star. Right, but I mean, Weaver's star power is different than it was a while ago. It's if old. Sigourney Weaver was your... But Quali, it's like she rises up on almost like the, the earlier films you mentioned laid the foundation for her to be just enough of a visible person so that she can then be well, the star. This is a test. If, if anybody in Hollywood or any casting director or anyone looks at what she did in this movie, they'll know she can handle anything. Also, she can carry a movie. That's a thing. Very few people can do that. Also, the movie is not... You know, it's 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 a mediocre movie that's kind of trying to be uh, Devil Wears Prada for the lit world or something, and it's based on a true story that was sort of pitched that way. And this, this woman who worked for the literary agency and had a semi connection to Salinger, but it's not an embarrassment. It's not such a disaster no, 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 that no, no, no. You it's know, perfectly fine. It's just a slight movie, right? And of course, we're looking at it through the lens of is this a movie that could sustain itself in theaters in the U.S., which is a very very tiny needle now to thread. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, who knows how that movie's even going to get out in the U.S. I mean, that's what's always kind of fascinating about these kinds of festival premieres is that no matter how glitzy the red carpet looks, the market back home is could be completely different. So, you know, it, it'll it'll survive this and come out. But let's talk a little bit about the competition because we saw this movie El Profugo, The Intruder from Argentina. I think that's a really, I think in some ways, the most important kind of competition to talk, film to talk about because it's a first-time director. It doesn't have a lot of visibility around it except that, you know, it's one of uh, eight women-directed films here. It's a genre film. It's a first feature. It has some visible faces, but in, but it's doing things with them that we haven't seen them do before. So what did you make of seeing a film like this in the context of watching competition films at a festival? It was a really good movie, um, first of all, and um, I really think it could actually sustain a theatrical release in the U.S. It's very Black Swan. It's set in the artistic world, a woman who does voiceovers, a woman who is voicing over a lot of violence to women, and she's involved with a man who's very dominating and wants to uh, penetrate her and own her to the point of knowing what her dreams are and she's resisting him and that whole metaphor of how men take over women is the story of this movie yeah I mean it kind of gets inside her headspace to the point where you never quite know what's real and what's not real and there was a movie a couple years ago called Barbarian Sound Studio that also kind of used voiceover art as a as a, as a metaphor and created a horror film aesthetic out of it. But I, what I liked about this one was that it, it, there's a constant redirection where you think, you know, maybe it's going one sort of way and she's going to, you know, figure out that some ghost is haunting her and how to fight back or whatever, but it's not that precise. And while, 
you know, maybe as we were saying before, it would have been, it would have been helpful to have a, a few more rules in terms of what, what's actually happening in this movie. On the other hand... It's it, a little bit like Atlantics in that way. Yeah, but it, exactly. It's, but it's keeping you unsettled. That's, there's, always a, there's always a line, you know, do you know what the rules are? Can you figure them out? Or is the filmmaker going to keep you on, 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 on not on solid ground? Well, that's the thing. It's like it gets away with a lot more... Especially when you're in a dreamscape. Yeah, yeah, the dream... The, the, and there's a lot of dreams and dreams within dreams and stuff. And she's but taking it, drugs, so you never know. I mean, is she, is she altered? But it's subtle. I mean, it, it kind of... You know, the title credits don't even come up for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of just sort of lost in this premise and you really don't know where it's going. And I think these are the best kinds of movies to launch at a, at a festival on a relatively big stage because, you know, whether or not it wins something, it'll create a whole bunch of interest around the people involved with it. And this is a filmmaker who really could be a major talent. But what happened is that I totally agree, but as I came out and a group of, of salespeople were talking about what might happen, the first thing that woman said was it'll go to streaming well that's what they always say and and i'm like well maybe not maybe it's the argentinian oscar entry maybe it has a different platform well, I think the whole thing of will it go to streaming is, is, is almost like this knee-jerk reaction to something when you can't quite see the, uh, the marketing plan. It's just a sign of how challenging the domestic market is, and you would have to have someone like Tom Quinn put all his eggs into that basket and make it work. Well, and, and the thing is that, that the, the idea of someone like Tom Quinn, that's a good challenge for people, right? What does that mean exactly? It's somebody who is passionate about a movie and but can understand. To put money behind yeah, it. Yeah, put money behind it. There's no shortage of people who can put, throw money around. I mean, you but can a lot can of people. can also handle distribution. It needs to understand way. that, yeah. People were talking last night about what a big hit Portrait of a Lady on Fire is in America, okay? Now, here's, this is a movie that didn't do that well in France. It was well-reviewed. But it didn't, Les Mis, Les Miserables, the, the actual Oscar entry, was yeah. a huge hit in France and yeah. didn't do as well in America. Um, and so, partly because it wasn't being released by a top theatrical company. Right, it was Amazon. Right. So, so you have a situation where it's a question of banking. He, he banked it, he did a, a week-long uh, uh, Oscar run, and then... Bam! Right after the Oscars, and, and everyone was talking about movies. In another year, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this movie could have been a real Oscar contender. Although it's interesting that it couldn't pierce those other categories. You know, that she didn't get a Best Director nomination it makes you wonder if maybe if it got that big successful theatrical release before, you know, say last year or something like that, if that would have affected that side of things. I have a really strong sense that if it had been released earlier, what he did. Um, giving it all to Quinn. He has a huge team and works with him. Obviously, the people that pulled off Parasite, they were pulling off a lot of other things at the same time. And I think that they built up and banked up interest in this in an almost old-fashioned publicity way so that when it finally hit, there was demand. And the other thing... And, the, the, and Twitter helps, and people like David Ehrlich help, you know, right, getting the all super worked up and upset. Well, and, and like Parasite, the buzz goes all the way back to Cannes. So one way or another, there's been months and months of build-up and anticipation and memes and all that good stuff. But I'm curious about how France feels about it because we know it was a close vote 
for the Oscar submission between Les Mis and Portrait. They went with their local hit. And, and it did get nominated, and it did well commercially, so it still it is an open question of, well, okay, so Les Mis didn't connect with the U.S. audiences the way Portrait is right now, but in France, different stories, so maybe the, our market is sort of irrelevant to their agenda. I don't agree with that. I mean, I think it was, it was, it was compelling that, that the, the can team and the Unifos team were in the U.S. applauding Parasite's win because it was the Palme d'Or winner. There are, everything is connected. All right, so let's go back to Berlin for a second. As I said earlier, there's eight out of, I think it's uh, 18 uh, films in competition directed by women. So they were obviously very conscious of that. Um, and there's a, a 50-50 uh, agenda here. There's going to be a big They signed the same thing that a lot of right. other people did, 50-50 by 2020. Well, we got to 2020, and we're not quite at 50-50, but no. maybe that's not the way to but go about it. There's a lot of progress being made. We can't help but know that the Cesars, the whole issue with the Cesars has happened, where they've literally thrown out the governing uh, group of the Academy in France. Um, not the people who vote, not the people who nominate, but the people who run the organization. And apparently, people who got elected to that position were there for life. Which is terrifying, no matter Isn't what kind of government. <laughs> and they were all, uh, mostly white men, yeah, who were going to hang on to that power forever, and who gave uh, the Roman Polanski movie uh, 12 nominations. Um, I haven't seen it. Did you ever see it? No, I never saw it. The only movie that's not coming out in the U.S. I managed to catch was Woody Allen. His Disraeli, his Disraeli movie, with which he identifies a great deal. But but the point is that that's that's ongoing. There's the the um, selection committee in Cannes is now 50-50 women and men, which is the first time that's ever happened. And uh, th- there's going to be some, a lot of panels and things here on that agenda, you know, questioning that, and we'll see how these women directed movies are received. Yeah, I mean, and then in April when the can lineup comes out, I'm sure we'll revisit this all over again. I thought the announcement around the uh, selection committee was very interesting because they first did that last year, right? And it was, I think... It wasn't 50-50. It was one more man than woman. But, you know, at the end of the day, having a selection committee when you have one person in charge is always an open question, right? I mean, with can, you know the buck stops with Thierry Fermeau. Here, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Carla Chatrian, who ran Locarno, brought a lot of that team over with him. But on some level, it feels like it's less about the selection committee than it is about how they're scouting and where they're looking and being as cognizant as possible of what their options really are before saying, oh, we didn't see enough to program to this agenda. Well, the other topic of conversation last night was how any festival, and I haven't been here long enough to even begin to judge, uh, balances the demand for red carpet celebrity, which is what we were talking about with opening night, and uh, with the composition of the jury and so on. Uh, led by Jeremy Irons, but the idea that that they have apparently a much more art film oriented program. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, this is a a big thing about Berlin is that because it can't compete with Cannes and because of its timing in this earlier part of the year, you know, it's it's just, it wouldn't make sense to try to get all these big starry movies because they would be mostly junk. I mean, in some ways, the most high profile movie here is the Pixar film, Onward which I happen to see. Have you seen that yet? I uh, actually was supposed to go to the premiere, but it was the night before I left, and I had too much to do. I'll see it here. I mean, briefly what I'll say about a movie like Onward is that it's, um, I wouldn't say it's top-shelf Pixar, but it's good enough, 
and uh, and it's a good festival launch. And top shelf you know, Pixar means it's pretty good. Well, it's it's not quite top shelf. Let's say it's like middle shelf. Are you giving you know? it an A minus or a B plus? Eh, it's maybe a B, but it's that's pretty good. Are you I would a Pixar say. fan? Well, I mean, there's only so many of them. I, They're I all good except for Cars two. Well, Monsters University is no, just okay. okay. Well, it's the same director. This is a more personal project for him, and I think that much comes through. I, I think it will make you cry. But uh, the release date... You know date, me well. It's well, not you know, hard. It's a March release date, and it benefits from the slot that Berlin has given it. And I think that's sort of what's fascinating. Is you can have one or two kind of big studio launches, and that's fine. And then everything else kind of falls into place around that. So for a Pixar movie to be the biggest movie at the Berlin Film Festival, you know, that kind of gives you a sense of what they're they're doing here. But it's still, you know, it's you walk around and you still feel like you're at a big festival. Absolutely. And so the lift it's giving to these films is, is really remarkable because then again, once it's over, it'll be a real question of, you know, which ones are going to come back home. So... Um, so what's your agenda of the next few days before before we uh, dash off to I'm gonna, uh, whatever? I'm going to do some investigations into uh, this film marketing story, uh, the film markets in Europe and, and the U.S. and what kind of, of uh, potential they really have. In the U.S., it is a really um, mature market theatrically, but the streamers have gotten ahead of where they are in Europe. And so Europe isn't in the same place. As, as the U.S. is in and, terms of theatrical versus streaming. And that's been true, obviously, for a while, but it's also interesting to think about what's going on in Asia, you know, where the in China, I mean, obviously it's a difficult situation there right now, but there's more theaters than there are in the U.S., and it would be interesting to talk to buyers, I'm sure, or, or, or sales agents about how much they're selling to those territories as well because it's a, it's a big uh, global market now. And, I'm not you know, sure all those territories are here. Because yeah, well, of the coronavirus. Exactly. So I'm sure when you're wandering around EFM, you'll be able to tell what's taped off. So right. uh, we'll, I'll find you in a week, and hopefully we'll have a lot more to get into. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.